Amen. Well, we're starting a, a new topic uh, today that will probably carry us through into the uh, March break weekends. I just kind of felt impressed in my heart uh, this particular topic. I've been entitled it, Restores My Soul, of course, taken from Psalm 23, which we all know very well, different translations. David, who was a shepherd himself, just knew a shepherd's heart and, and obviously had that relationship with God in that same way. But he said, the Lord God, he is my shepherd. He is my shepherd, right? You know the psalm well? I shall not want. I never understood what that meant as a kid. <laughs> but what he simply means is the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. I have everything I need. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. And what does he do? He restores my soul. I want to talk about the restoration of our soul or the health, the care of our soul. It's interesting in the New Testament, the word soul is actually suke, from which in the English language we get our fields of study, like psychology, psychiatry, and so on. It has to do with studying the soul. Uh, quite often we think of those fields of study as having to do with the mind or the brain, and that's certainly one aspect of it. But the Scripture understands that, that even our mind is just one component of a greater part of us that is called the soul. The soul is essentially the seat of our personality. It's our mind, but it also involves our will. It involves our feelings. All that area that encompasses our personality, that is our soul. Our spirit is different, of course. Our spirit lives forever. Our soul is part of our spirit, uh, just like animals. They have a soul. They have personality. They have those things. They just don't have that spirit because when they die, they don't go to heaven. Is that okay? I didn't know if you knew that. Um, unless they're dogs, okay? All good dogs go to heaven. I saw that somewhere. Um, but that's, that's the part of us. That's the soul. So, so basically, I want to talk about uh, just how in our lives we all go through these seasons when we want real change. You know, we really want an area of our life to change, to be free, to grow, whatever the case may be. But yet, a lot of times, we get frustrated. I mean, we may read a good book, or we hear somebody speak, and, and maybe we, uh, you know, resolve to do better. And even for a season, we may have a, a time of reprieve where it seems like, okay, I'm kind of getting free of this. But if we're honest, we're, we're not really free. We've kind of changed some things on the outside, but there's not that real break inside. The Bible says in Corinthians, we know it well, that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, and a new life has begun. But if we are really new people, then why is it that it seems that these old habits still hang on? How in the world do we access that life change that Jesus actually won for us on the cross? We hear words like breakthrough or overcoming or being victorious, and those are all biblical promises, biblical principles, but oftentimes we don't quite experience that. Uh, sometimes we don't experience the new life that Jesus promised, I believe, because we tend to deal a lot of times with the symptoms. We don't actually deal with the sickness. Now, for example, if you go to a doctor or your family doctor and you have something wrong with you, but they're only just kind of treating what they see on the outside, but never really get to the root of what the disease that you may have, what happens? You know, you may get a little bit better. Some of the medication may take the edge off, but you're basically going to be living most of your days as a sickly person. You're not really healed. That disease hasn't been identified and uprooted and, and actually, you know, taken from your system or made you better. And I find the same is true for a lot of us as Christians. I really believe with all my heart, and when I preach the Word of God, I preach from this perspective, I really believe that the average person sitting in the pew on a Sunday morning is sincere. 
They want to follow Jesus. They want to honor the Lord. You know, there's so many other things we could be doing on a Sunday morning or through the week. I really believe that we're sincere. But unfortunately, a lot of times we are sickly in our spirit because what we tend to do is we focus more on sin management or behavior management rather than actually getting to the source or that spiritual stronghold. For example, one of the common strongholds we see at working people's lives today, where it's rampant through our society, is the area of pornography. And, but unfortunately, a lot of times I find when you talk to people, both men and women who struggle with that, is they tend to either gravitate toward ideas or, 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 or you know, uh, methods to, to kind of deal with the pornography, but they don't realize most times the issue is not pornography. The issue is something deeper. The pornography is simply a symptom to something that's deeper in their heart that the Lord wants to get to, uh, whatever it may be. I could name a dozen different things that come to mind, but, you know, it could just be rejection. It could be, it could be apathy, whatever, uh, and it manifests in that way. But a lot of times that is treated itself, the symptom is treated, and then, of course, the person continues to struggle because the real stronghold goes unnoticed. Now, we know that Jesus lived in a day when people were really burnt out from just trying to be good. Uh, they wanted to be the people of God in Israel. They, you know, they tried to conform to the outward uh, uh, behavior, the outward uh, restrictions that were placed upon them, but they still had all these inner struggles. And Jesus comes along and he teaches that the root causes of our lives are actually in the heart. Now, he said, for example, in Matthew 12, out of the outflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Good people bring good things out of the good stored up in them in their heart. And evil people bring evil things out of the evil stored up in them in their heart. And so what he's saying is that in order for us to experience the real change that Jesus wants for us, we need to deal with the heart and not just deal with the behavior. It's not about just trying to suppress certain things, act a different way, behave a different way. It's about allowing the Lord to go into our heart and show us what is producing what we are seeing on the outside so we can actually identify it and, if need be, confront it, overthrow it, be free of it, and see the manifestation outside. I enjoy gardening, for example, in the, in the summer, the spring. We have a nice garden out back we've been kind of working on for years, building it up. And I've learned, as many of you know as well, that if you're going to get the weeds out of your garden, you can't just pull what you see on the surface. There might be little flowers or, or leaves or whatever. You've got to go to the root to get that thing out or the weed's going to come back. And so in the same way, a lot of times in our Western culture, we tend to deal a lot with behavior management. We, we really try to live a certain way. We're not being hypocritical. We're sincere, but we're really trying to live a certain way, but we get frustrated because we don't experience some of these things we hear of in Christian circles. We don't, we don't experience like real freedom. We don't experience victory. We don't experience the sense of, of, of really mastering areas of our life and really being free. It always seems like there's this grayness in our life, this lack of confidence because we try a lot to manage our behavior when real change comes when we get to the root of the issues. For example, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said in Matthew 5, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. That's a pretty remarkable statement. You remember elsewhere where Jesus said that if you hate somebody, that you've committed murder in your heart against that person. 
Now, I've wrestled with that sometimes. I've thought when I've read that in past, Lord, is it just, you know, are you just using hyperbole? Are you just kind of exaggerating a little bit just to kind of make a point to make us realize, hey, you know, it's not really the same thing, but it's really, really serious, so you should, you should deal with your heart. And I don't know if this is the proper interpretation or not, but this is what came to my heart. I thought the Lord was saying, no, it's the same thing, and here's why. You see, when you contemplate something in your heart, when you're mulling over that, when you're rehearsing that, when you're envisioning that thing in your heart, for example, you're lusting after somebody, a man or a woman, that's in your heart, something you kind of dream about, fantasize about, whatever the case may be. The Lord is saying the only reason you're not acting on it is because you know you can't get away with it. You know there's consequences. But if there weren't consequences, you would probably act on that. And that's why it's the same. Does that make sense? And so the Lord says, listen, I want to get to your heart. I'm not asking you just to kind of, you know, shape up and act better. Because I'm interested on what's inside of you. Because I don't want you to just look different as a follower of mine. I want you to really be free. I want you to be liberated. I want your life full of joy. And it doesn't mean you don't have struggles and so on. But I want to minister things from the outflow of your heart. I want to fill your heart with good things. I want to satisfy your life with good things. But I've got to get at the heart. You see, we all know what it is to struggle with certain things, whether you call them stronghold struggles, sin, or whatever, whether that's anger, lust, pride, greed, prayerlessness, apathy, whatever it may be. And we all feel bad about these things, and we want to change, but most often, if we're honest, we want God to fix it. That's what we're really looking for. We want him to change our behavior. I really believe that God is far less concerned about your behavior than you think he is. He's a lot more concerned with your heart. Say it again. He's far less concerned about your behavior because your behavior for all intents and purposes may appear to be good. But God knows your heart. Not he knows your heart in a sense, I'm going to get you. He knows your heart in a sense, I know the real you. And I want the real you to be free. I want the real you to know me and enjoy me, to be all I've intended for you to be. And so God knows that if we get our heart healthy, then our behavior is going to follow. But if we're only focused on the leaves and we're not focused on the roots, we're always going to be frustrated. We're never going to sense that real, that real promise of freedom and of joy and of, and of victory. Jesus said in Matthew 15, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, these are what defile the person, what's in the heart. And we understand that. We can be living a certain way, and again, we're not being hypocritical. We're being sincere. We're trying to live a good life, but we know what's in our heart. And if we know, we know that if we're not really free in those things that trouble us, then we know there's just this grayness and ambiguity and this, and this frustration. That's the kind of stuff the Lord wants to get rid of in our life. So the question is this. What is underneath my behavior? Why is it I do what I do? Why do I think the way that I think? What is it that drives those things in my life? 
But what I want to do this morning is just kind of lay a foundation and then kind of put a comma there, and then next week get into some of the specifics of things that, uh, that I think the Lord wants to have a better understanding of that really begin to tackle some specific things in our heart. We're going to talk about things like our identity, because really what you believe about yourself really determines your maturity, your peace, your ministry. So we're going to talk about identity. We're going to talk about uh, breaking some of the uh, family sin cycles that are in our lives sometimes. We're going to talk about how the Lord wants to heal uh, some of the hurts in our lives. Maybe we, if we have time, we'll talk a little bit about um, just, uh, well, just diff- different things, uh, overcoming fear, a number of things that we can talk about here. Um, but what I want to do for this morning's purposes is I just want to talk about some of the things that we need to do or, or have available in our life be practicing in order to create a healthy environment for those deeper things of the Lord to actually happen. Again, I love gardening, but you know that if you're going to have a good garden, if things are going to grow, then it can't be too wet, can't be too dry, you can't have lots of rocks and stones, you can't have a lot of weeds. And the same thing is true in our own life. There are some basic components that actually create a healthy environment or an atmosphere where the Lord is actually able to minister to us and grow us at the level of our heart. How many would say, you know, I get kind of tired of just trying to be good? You ever, you ever find that sometimes? Like, I, I know what I should do, what I shouldn't do, but, you know, I want to get to the heart of some things. Like, like I really want to break out of some of those things, or I really want to see some good things released that the Lord is calling me to, or some of the things that he's placed within me. Because we know when you read Scripture, the Bible says, I mean, we have all the riches of God in Christ, right, are in us. The gifts of, of God are within us. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. Well, how do we actually see those things begin to to flow out of us. Like I said, there's a few components. I'll give you three because that's, of course, the spiritual number. And uh, maybe it's a little easier for us to remember. Let me just give you three things, and then next week we'll get into some specific principles that I just mentioned that I think the Lord will do some good surgery in our hearts. The first thing I think, the first component that I think is a real important part of our life, if we're going to be in a posture to receive that kind of work of the Holy Spirit, is what I would simply call lived truth lived truth. Uh, John said in 1 John 2, you have an authority from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know the truth. It's kind of like most of us here. Even if you've only been a believer for maybe a year or two, we should all basically have the basics. We should all basically know the truths that we need to walk with the Lord and to grow in the Lord. And John's kind of saying the same thing. Look, folks, you've heard lots of sermons, lots of teaching. You're in the Word yourself. I mean, you know this stuff. But I'm writing to you because I want you to understand that it's not learned truth. It's lived truth that actually begins to have power in your life, that brings these things out that God wants to do. It's really an amazing thing to realize that the Holy Spirit personally invites every single one of us here this morning to walk with Him, and to be taught with him. And the beautiful thing is, is the truths that he teaches us, they're anointed. And that anointing that comes into our life actually has the power to break that heaviness in our life, to break that heaviness that comes when we're, when we're just bogged down or when we're believing lies or some of the things we'll talk about in the weeks to come. The anointing breaks all those things and gives us this renewed sense of confidence for living. Jesus said in John 8, if you continue... To obey my teachings, you're truly my disciples. You see that? Like if your lifestyle 
is to pursue what I'm sharing with you. If you love the truth and you're walking in that truth, you're really my followers. And when you do that, he says, then you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Not just you'll know it academically. That truth will be worked out in your life. And what you have learned by your own personal experience brings an authority to your life, brings this sense of mastery in different issues of your heart. You see, as a follower of Jesus, I only have authority in that which I have victory over. That's the only area I have authority. I can have opinions, I can read books, I can quote other people, but I cannot minister what I don't have. I had this conversation with my Youngest son, yesterday we were talking about some ministry things, and it's just something the Lord's been reminding me of. It's, it's always my heart's desire, but I've got to be honest with you. I'm just going to be a lot more intentional in this. But I was saying to my son, I said, but, you know, it's, it's really easy in ministry for us to prepare for ministry, prepare, let's say, for Sunday. And so the worship team and the worship pastor get the music together, and they've, they've prayed about that, and they know what they're going to sing, and, and I'm studying the Word and praying about, over the Word and what the Lord wants me to share. It's really easy to take those two components, be prepared, come together on Sunday, minister that, and to think you've done your job. You see, all that stuff is secondary. What's most important is when we come to worship, Yes, I believe the Lord has given me a word to minister. Yes, I believe he's led the worship team in what they're going to minister. But the Lord also wants to move in his service. So there's things that he wants to do. So I'm not prepared if I just come with my notes and I know what I want to say and I feel the Lord's going to speak through that. That's not all there is. He may have a word of knowledge for somebody. He may have a healing he wants to bring in somebody's body. He may have one of the gifts of the Spirit operating through the body or from the platform, wherever it may be, because you see, when we gather together in his presence, he is Lord, and he wants to be free to move in sovereign ways. He'll move through the things that we have prepared, but he can also do that and so much more just through obedience to the prompting and the leading of the Holy Spirit. When we come together, the Spirit of the Lord is here, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom right? And freedom is not just how high we dance or how much we dance or how high we jump. And that's not a bad thing if it's a manifestation of the freedom within us. But true freedom is the Lord doing heart surgery when we come together, the Lord doing sovereign things in our lives, rectifying. And that's why it's so important that we gather together for worship, even with all we've been going through. It's why it's so important to actually contend. And I've been talking to some church leaders in the city saying, guys, this can't happen again. It can't happen again because it's not just about having church. It's about coming together and God breaking things of the enemy, destroying depression, uh, healing bodies, healing marriages, whatever it may be because when we come together, the Lord ministers. And in the same way, the Lord wants us to live or experience lived truth. He doesn't want us just to know a certain amount, be content with a certain amount. He wants to be a people whose heart are full of his word. We meditate upon his word. We get his word to win his life. His word shapes our life. But we want him to deal with us at a heart level because we cannot minister. We can't give away what he's not doing in us. We can't have authority in any area in which we do not personally have victory. Kind of went a bit of a tangent there, but I hope it made sense. If not, you can go home, rewind it, and... Go through it again. Jesus sent his disciples out, and we know he sent them out to set people free. And he said in Matthew 10, freely you've received, now freely give. God's word is profound. We know that. But the more revelation I receive, the greater insights I can share with others. The greater freedom I walk in myself, 
the greater authority I carry with me to help others around me. The Lord wants me to be free at the level of my heart. He wants me to live the truth he's shown me. So when I find myself in those places of ministry, I can step up with confidence. Not cockiness, but I can step up with confidence and say, Lord, I can move in this area because you've taught me in this. I've walked in this. And Lord, I minister in that authority. And so live truth creates an atmosphere for real change. But if I just settle for behavior management, I'm never going to experience real freedom. And I'll certainly never minister. So live truth is a key component. Secondly is what I would call simply true fellowship. Now we know fellowship is not just sharing food. Fellowship is not just coming to the same church service kind of thing that we can experience. Some fellowship in that. I really believe myself that true fellowship is living open, honest, confessional lives in an atmosphere of grace. Let me say that again. It is living open, honest, confessional lives in an atmosphere of grace. Pastor Jenny read the scripture this morning. I'll read the remainder in James chapter 5. He writes, are, you, are any among you sick, body, soul, spirit? They should send for the church elders who will pray for them. This prayer made in faith will heal the sick. The Lord will restore them. He restores my soul. Restore them to health. And the sins they have committed will be forgiven, broken, cleansed. Then he says, will you read the rest with me? So then, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you will be healed. The Lord says, my promise is healing. But you need to confess to one another. You need to pray for one another. My grandfather up near Cape Breton passed away about 30 years ago. He died of cancer. And uh, we don't know how long he was suffering, but, but by the time we found out, we realized he had probably been in a lot of pain for a number of months, if not maybe even a couple years, but didn't tell anybody. And part of that is just pride and maybe not wanting to bother anybody else, but, but part of that in his generation was, well, you go to the hospital to die, right? Not to get better. If I'm going to the hospital, I know I'm not getting out. And so he just kind of kept it to himself, and he went through that sickness by himself for as long as he could. And in the same way, James says, if we're going to experience breakthroughs, then we have to resolve to live confessional lives. What I mean by that is we have to determine, I'm not keeping secrets. You see, secrets are like a poison to our soul. It's in darkness that the enemy has authority. It's in darkness that he, he has his way, that he, that he makes things even worse. And if we don't want to live spiritually sick, we have to stop hiding. We have to stop pretending. We have to stop struggling on our own. Now, I know that's easier said than done. But friends, we have to find someone, if we don't know them already, we have to find a believer with whom we can confess our struggles. Somebody that, you know, it's, maybe it's our spouse, maybe somebody of the same sex, a good friend, whatever. Friends, we need someone whom we can be real with and who also can confess their struggles with us. James says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. You see, when you find true fellowship with another believer, it's an incredible relief. Because number one, you can bring those things into the light. Once they're brought into the light, they lose their power. Once they're brought into the light, they're seen for what they are. You can agree together in prayer and confront those things and see the Lord work some beautiful freedom. But the other thing is, when we bring those things into the light, a lot of times the person to whom we confess that, they say, you know what? I struggle with the same thing. 
And the whole time the devil's been telling you, you're the only one. You're no good. You're rotten. You're a failure. You're disappointing to God, whatever it may be. And the Lord says, no, no. In fact, the scripture says there's no temptation that any of us have ever gone through. That's not common. It's not common. We all have the same enemy. He all works the same way in all of our lives in whichever way he can. He's a master manipulator, but he can only manipulate in the darkness. So the Lord says, bring those things into the light. Confess them to someone. Let them confess the same to you. Because when you confess it, you break the power of shame over you. And the Lord is able to set you free. Hear me, my friends. The Lord brings conviction. Conviction simply means he's saying, hey, you know where you are or you know what you're walking in, but there's a better way. There's freedom. Condemnation is the devil saying, that's what you do because that's what you are. And you're never going to change. And the Lord says the way you break that condemnation is by responding to his loving conviction. Find somebody, confess it, and then what? Pray together. Pray together. Father, we thank you that you love us enough to show us this. And devil, we turn to you, and in Jesus' name, we renounce you. We break every association with you. We just expose every lie you've told. You're a liar. We're not listening to you anymore. And you begin to walk together in fellowship, true fellowship, and you go from freedom to freedom. Now, I know that some of us are afraid to confess things because, again, we're, we're used to behavior management, right? Looking a certain way. And, again, we're sincere. But also sometimes we feel, well, man, if I say this, if I really, you know, confess what's going on inside, they're going to think I'm a hypocrite. Now, I could be wrong, but I have a little bit different uh, definition of what I think hypocrisy is. I don't think hypocrisy is knowing what you should do and not doing it. That's life. The Apostle Paul said the same thing in Romans chapter 7. The things I know I should do, I don't. The things I don't want to do, I end up doing. Oh, who's going to save me from this cycle? But thanks be to God right? The Holy Spirit can free me from all of that. So Paul understands that same struggle. I believe what hypocrisy is simply this. It is not being real with someone who's being real with you. That's hypocrisy. People say, oh, the church is full of hypocrites. Yeah, no, the world is full of hypocrites because it's human nature to pretend we've got it all together. And that's where the enemy has a heyday, right? Oh, yeah, I got it all together. I'm going to fool everybody, but inside I'm dying. You see, hypocrisy is something like this. A brother comes to me and says, Paul, man, I'm really struggling with such and such. And it could be something that I've struggled with in the past or something I'm struggling with now. What I should say is, man, thank you for sharing that. You know what? I struggle with that too. You see what happens as soon as I do that? It disarms the enemy. The person goes, what? I'm not the only one? I'm not a lost sinner? I'm not, whatever the case may be, right? Now, I'm not saying I'm making things up. But if it is something I'm struggling with, or if it's something I can't relate to, I can say, you know what, I can't relate to that, but man, I've struggled with such and such. In other words, I'm human just like you. I'm frail just like you. I need you just like you need me. Hypocrisy is when you pretend you got it all together. You may still have a listening ear. You may pray with them. God bless you. Be at peace. Go your way. But what do they leave thinking? Man, I'm still the only one. That person is so good. I wish I had it together like them. When I had the opportunity to be redemptive, redemptive. It doesn't mean that I live a sloppy life so I can, you know, relate to everybody, but it does mean that I say, look, I'm human like you. The devil attacks me. I've said this a thousand times, my friend. I'm on this platform so you can see me. That's it. That's it. I walk with you. I walk among you. I have the same struggles you do in different ways. But it's not one thing. It's another thing. If God spared me by his grace or I was raised a certain way, wasn't exposed to certain things, okay, but I've got my battles too. I've got my demons I've got to confront as well, my friends. 
Because we're all in this sinful, broken world, shot through with sin, right? And the devil's just seeing what bait you take. But if you take the bait, find a believer and say, man, I took the bait. Would you pray with me? I'm struck. I'll never forget Jack Hayford. I always tease the staff, my good friend Jack Hayford. But I'll never forget he shared this once in a little mini conference. We spent a week with him, him with 24 pastors, and he just poured his heart and he just said so much. But I'll never forget he said once, he said, yeah, I was, just, I was in my office just studying. The secretary came in. She dropped something on my desk, and when she, when she did, she bent over, and I just saw the cleavage in her blouse. And he said, I thanked her. She went on her way. He said, I got up. I went to the office next door to the assistant pastor. I say, I just want to confess to you that for a moment there I lusted. You may say, that's stupid. No, it's not. It's not. It's a heart that wants to be pure. It's a heart that's saying, I'm not giving the devil an inch. I'm not playing with that at all. I'm not going to allow that to fester in my mind. I'm not going to allow that to sink into my soul. I want a healthy soul. I went next door. I confessed it. I exposed it. We prayed together. Gone. That is true fellowship. That's what the Lord has for us. He's given us as a gift to one another that we can confront the enemy together, not turn against each other. I believe if we truly want to get to the root of issues in a way that will change our lives, we have to learn to be vulnerable. And we've got to learn to be honest with our own shortcomings. And again, it doesn't mean that I intentionally live sloppy. If I know that something is wrong, I confess it to somebody else. Why? Because I want this thing broken. And we're going to work together, confess, be accountable to each other until it is because I want to be free. Only light can free us from darkness. And friends, you will never find freedom by protecting those dark areas of secrecy in your soul. We need to find someone that we can be real with. We need to be. I went a little longer on that point. Let me just wrap up with this final one. So we need live truth, we need true fellowship, and we simply need the presence and power of God because when all is said and done, only God can change my heart. All the therapy in the world is not necessarily a bad thing by any means. Don't get me wrong. But friends, it's encounters with the presence of God that really makes the difference. In fact, the Bible says when we come to Jesus, he gives us a brand new heart, a heart that actually wants to serve him and wants to follow him. But you see, what we need to do is we need to regularly access the presence of the Lord so that all the things he placed within us at salvation can actually begin to flow and grow in us. It only happens in his presence, in fellowship with him. We need the presence of God on a regular basis in order to heal the hurts, to heal and to reveal the brokenness, the woundedness. And we need the power of God in order to keep us free from the enemy who tries to establish those strongholds in our life. John said in 1 John 3, when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. You see, one day, it's hard to believe, but one day we are going to see Jesus face to face. And our transformation is going to be complete. But I think what John also wants us to understand is that the presence of Jesus is transformational today as well. I can be in the presence of that same Jesus. I'm not rescued out of the sinful world yet. That day is going to come. But I can still be transformed in his presence. You see, that's why we engage in spiritual activities or what we call spiritual uh, disciplines. That's why we're encouraged to read God's word that's alive. It's, it's bread. That's why we're encouraged to have moments of solitude, of quiet, of reflection, whatever context is best for you. That's why we, we encourage listening, prayer, and journaling, communion with the Lord. Why? Because you see, what these spiritual disciplines do is they give you access to the presence of God's spirit. That's why we do that. It's not just to put in our devotional time. It's because we need his presence. Now, over the next few weeks, as I mentioned, we're going to look at some of these key principles 
that we really need to understand and apply to see our soul really healthy and restored like the Lord wants it to be. But friends, most of those things happen when we're alone with God. They just happen in communion with the Lord. And so most of us probably practice one or two of these things maybe already, the lived truth, fellowship, presence, and power, but it takes all three of those things to be at work in our lives if we're really going to create that atmosphere, that environment for the good things the Lord has for us to grow. We need all of those things at work, and those things are foundational. And like I said, I'm going to stop there in a moment, and then we'll delve into some specific things in the weeks to come. We've all heard the expression, what you don't know won't hurt you, right? But the reality is when it comes to your soul, what you don't know is actually killing you. It's drying you up. It, it's, it's holding you down. The Bible says in 1 John 1, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. You see, when God shines his light into our heart, what John is saying is that he reveals the truth about us. But what we have to learn to do is stand in the truth with God. Say, yes, that's what confession is. Yes, Lord, I agree with you. I say the same thing. And actually admit the truth because the Lord can't cleanse and heal what we won't admit. You see, God's light is a gift to us. It's a gift to us. It's not an intruder. Some people think that God just kind of, you know, intrudes our lives. Like, oh, he's always picking up stuff, or I can never, you know, be good enough, whatever the case may be. No, no. Jesus said the devil comes for one reason, to kill, steal, and destroy. I've come to give you life. You see, darkness is the intruder. God never intended for darkness to reign in your life. He never included, in, intended for there to be that cloudiness and grayness and confusion. He comes to bring light. He sheds light on things because he wants to heal us. He wants to work at the level of the heart where we truly are set free. Because a lot of times, if we're honest, we, we don't like to admit our brokenness, do we? We don't like to admit some of those ugly things that are going on in our heart. And yet... John said, when we confess our sin, God is faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us. I'm going to ask the worship team to, to join me as we conclude this morning. I just ask you just to bow your head and close your eyes for a moment, if you would. We know the truth is that what we don't know can hurt us, and what we won't admit can hurt others around us. And I think we're all aware of unhealthy beliefs and unhealthy behaviors in our lives. But I think what we often don't know, it's what's really beneath those things. And I hope over these next few weeks, as we look at some of those principles, it'll help us to understand why we do what we do. But more importantly, how we can really have a healthy soul so that we can move from a Christianity that is mostly behavior management to actually experience the kind of transformation that Jesus won for us on the cross. That we can actually experience some of those words like victory, joy, freedom, abundant life, breakthrough, more than conquerors. Those are our inheritance. That's what Jesus has gone to the cross for us to experience. And he loves us enough to show us those deep areas of our heart so that we can really be free, really be clean, really be strong.
I'm going to ask the worship team just to sing the song they prepared, and as they do, if you just bow your heart and just consider those three simple things and say, Lord, I want you to be, to be foundational. Lord, I, I pray for that lived truth. Lord, I really want to intentionally work on those things you're showing me because I want a living faith. I want a faith that actually has authority because of what I've experienced in you and not just theory. Lord, would you show me someone with whom I can have true fellowship, someone I can trust with my heart, with my struggles, maybe someone who needs me as well? Because I want to be real, Lord, in those areas. I don't want things in the shadows anymore. I want them out in the open. I want to be free. And Lord, would you help me to regularly practice your presence and experience your love and power? Help me to not see these disciplines as drudgery, but as the weapons you've given me to access your presence so that, Lord, you can really do heart surgery. I can really know you in the fullness of life that you went to the cross for me to know. Lord, I really want to experience all those three components in my life. I want that atmosphere so you can really do a deep work in me and you can begin to really flow through me in beautiful ways that I really see you touch lives through me because that's what the joy is really all about. I'm going to ask the ministry team to come. And if you're here this morning, after we sing this song, before you leave, feel free to linger as well and just worship and just do work with the Holy Spirit. But if there's something in your heart, you'd say, I just have a need, maybe you need a physical healing. Or maybe you just say, I just need someone that I can confess something to. And I just want to, I want them to agree with me in prayer. You may not even have to, if you don't know them, don't feel like you've got to confess it. If you feel comfortable, feel free to do so. But you might just say, yeah, you know, the pastor's talking about some stuff, and there's a couple things that I just need to confess. And so without saying it, I just confess it to the Lord. And would you pray with me and agree with me? And just get that journey started. So whatever your need may be this morning. But if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, I invite you as well to come and find somebody at this altar to pray with you. If your heart is saying, I don't know God, but I know that my soul is not at rest. I don't have peace in my soul. I want those still waters that you talked about. I want that restoration of who I really am. Friends, that's found in Jesus. And so I invite you this morning to come and let us pray with you. Thank you for listening to the GT Moncton podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, contact info at gtmoncton.com. Follow us on social media at GT Moncton or check out our website, gtmoncton.com. Have a great week and God bless.